For you type Ayers, okay, let me give a really quick outline before we dive into uh, this book because uh, this will really dictate the pace of our letter, all right? So there are different uh, options that we can kind of take with Second John, and we're really going to be focusing on the truth here, okay? We're going to spend a lot of time in the first three verses, all right? And so we're going to really chop those first three verses up. We'll spend uh, a really long time in there, and then we'll kind of uh, let that summarize the rest of the book for us. And so we're going to be covering believing in the truth, walking out the truth, and living in truth with others, okay? Believing in the truth, walking out the truth, and then living in truth with others, all right? You type A or satisfied? All right, there we go. That's the first time I've ever done that, and I guess, yeah, okay, here we go. So, Second John, and let us pick it right up in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So the Greek word that is translated here, lady, uh, is actually the Greek word kyria, which is actually where we get the name of our second daughter from. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just wanted to shout out to Kyria. Shout out to Kyria back there sleeping, all right? Um, but what I do want to highlight, though, is that idea of lady, okay? Uh, because this is probably John using a metaphorical name to actually write to a church or to a local congregation. There is a possibility that John's writing to an individual woman. That is a possibility. But it's likely, more likely, that he's actually writing to a church. I had nine different commentaries I looked at. They all said, yes, he's writing to a church, writing to a church. Though they all said that this could be to an individual woman. The reason I want to highlight that is that uh, John is writing to a local congregation. Okay, so I want to highlight that truth. John is writing to a local church. We are a local church, okay? And so this is actually a very pertinent letter for us to really see what is John saying to the individual church and how do we, as a collective church body, apply the truths that John is going to bring out in this letter. And so very pertinent, even in the season of life that we are right now at the well, which we'll get into more in a second. But one of the things that I wanna point out here in the first three verses that we have is John highlights the word truth four different times. So if you look at the text, he he keeps saying truth over and over again. <clears throat> and we say this often here, but when the biblical writers want to stress something or they want to highlight something, they use repetition, right? And so in our culture, when we want to highlight or stress something, we'll underline it or, or bold it or italicize it, or now we'll have emojis, right, that kind of highlight something. So if John was writing in an email, he would have the wide eyes, wide eyes, fireworks, 100 emoji, right? <laughs> Trying to say, hey, look, I really want to show you truth, 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 okay? Just to clarify, I've never used an emoji. I literally had to Google how you emphasize with emojis to throw that in, all right? Um, so yeah, I had, there, yeah, enough with that. All right, so, but in all this, John is a poet, okay? And so John, as a poet, is to some extent writing poetically throughout this letter. And so as he uses the word truth, John is actually using that word synonymously with Christ and with the gospel, all right? So truth there means Christ, and it also means the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of his emphasis of truth, I want to highlight what John is saying there. He's not just saying truth in kind of a proverbial mindset, like just kind of truth out there. He's actually highlighting Christ and the gospel, as opposed to the falseness, which we'll speak on later. And uh, John 
chapter 14, verse 6, which, by the way, the same John that penned the Gospel of John is also penning this letter. And so we should find the similarities there. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I am the way, the truth. And so in John's letter, he says Jesus is the truth. He is the truth and the way to life. And if we want to have a relationship with God the Father, then we come at that through the truth of Jesus and through Jesus who is a literal example representation of truth. And so it's important to see the similarities there. But I want you to look about what it says about the truth. So thinking about that, thinking that Jesus is the truth and the gospel of Jesus is the truth, I want you to think about what it's saying there, okay? Look at verse two again. Because of the truth, or Jesus, the gospel, because of Jesus that abides in us and will be with us forever. The truth abides, right, or, or dwells, or, or lives in, takes up its residence in, lives inside of you and me who have professed faith in Christ and not only lives inside of us, but will be with us forever, This is a beautiful truth that is true for the Christians that if you have professed faith in Christ, then the living God who is the embodiment of truth, who in his very nature is truth, actually lives inside of you. That he will live inside of you and be with you forever. So the truth, the the Holy Spirit, who is Christ's spirit of God, now dwells inside of us, makes up his home. The truth of God is living, flowing through us. And so you no longer have to live with the plague of lies that eats away at your soul on a day-to-day basis. Because instead of those plagues of lies that so frequently eat away at us, we actually have the truth living inside of us. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This week, there were probably many times in which you were really believing different lies, right? Like, like lies about your identity. You felt like if you didn't work enough or, or if you didn't get that good grade or if you didn't get that pay raise or, or if that girl didn't date you or you didn't find a husband, then you are lesser of a man or a woman. And that's just not true, but those lies, they plague us, right? They, they eat away at our souls a lot of times. And John is saying, look, Jesus as truth is actually living inside of you. You no longer have to be plagued with the burdens of lies. And if you're anything like me, you believe lies really easily. Not only do you believe them easily, but you're spoken about those lies often. Your flesh speaks to you about those lies. The world speaks to you about those lies. Satan himself and and demons speak to you about these lies. You are plagued with lies on every side. But John says the truth is dwelling inside of you. You have Jesus, amen? That is a beautiful truth that we can now live in light of the gospel because of who Jesus is. And this truth is more than just an intellectual assent, by the way. It's not just that you intellectually have assented into a place where you think that Jesus is God, but it's actually knowing a person. That's why that word abide is there. You live with, there is intimacy. Your home is his home and you live there together. Right, there's an intimacy with Christ. We, we read John 14, 6 already, but he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So if you have this truth, you have life in Christ. And there's an importance there that Jesus is the truth. We can have a relationship with him, which means we can have a relationship with the truth. We can actually live in and dwell in truth. We can be intimate with truth, right? We can be intimate with truth. We can live in that. Since the fall, since Genesis 3, we've been flooded with lies, 
Matter of fact, that's what Satan came and he came and told Eve a lie, right? God's not for you. God doesn't have your best. God is, he's withholding from you. You're, you're missing something. And Adam and Eve, they believed that lie. And ever since then, we've had the same uh, propensity to believe the lies of Satan, to believe the lies of the flesh, to actually live in a lie. And we're not good enough. We're not beautiful. We're, we're, we're not whatever it may be. And underneath Christ, all of those things actually take its truth from Jesus because he is true. Satan lies, our flesh lies, the world lies. This week as I was meeting with people, I had at least, at least, because I was thinking about the sermon, and so I was kind of doing a little bit of an experiment on them. Sorry if I met with you, okay? But I was just asking questions, and there were eight different people that literally said, I'm believing in a lie. Like, I know this is a lie. As I'm talking about it, I realize that this is a lie, and yet I'm still believing in it for some reason. It's like, well, that's who we are as humans. It's so easy for us to believe in lies. I myself was struggling with this the whole week, really believing in things that weren't true. But if you're a Christian, truth is inside of you, and we can have intimacy with that truth to overcome the lies of the world. You no longer have to be enslaved to lies. Matter of fact, in the same Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 58, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. You can have freedom, right? You can be free and not enslaved to lies anymore. You can know truth or Jesus and Jesus, this truth can set you free. This is good news, friends. This should make our souls rejoice a little bit or or get excited about the fact that we can have relationship with truth. Now, later in the letter, John's actually gonna talk about somebody who's spreading a lie. And the lie that he's spreading is that Jesus didn't physically come in the flesh, okay? Let's read actually and jump down to verse seven real quick. Verse seven says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist, okay? So they're denying the truth. They're actually denying freedom. Why? Because they're not confessing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, Now, this is actually a very important truth, okay? And we're gonna get a little bit theological here, okay? So if you're not used to dwelling in that, don't lose me, this is important, okay? But what John is trying to highlight here is the fact that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He says, hey, look, this is the truth, this is Jesus. He came, he lived amongst us, he dwelled with us, but this Jesus Christ is God, he's saying in the first three verses. Jesus is Lord, he is king, he is over all. These liars are coming around and saying, Jesus actually didn't come in the flesh. Jesus actually, he, maybe they were saying he was kind of like God, but he wasn't like really a human. And we have the same type of lies that are being uh, portrayed today, right? Where they say Jesus was a really, really good teacher. He was a, a really, really good man. He did live in the flesh, but he wasn't God. And it's important that we actually hold both of these truths at the same time. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. There's your 50 cent word for today, all right? That Jesus could be fully God and fully man at the same time, unified together, 100% man, 100% God. As God, the reason this is important is because as God, Jesus can offer up forgiveness and grace and mercy and peace that we read about in verse three. Jesus can offer that to our souls because he is God. Only God truly holds grace. Only God truly holds the fullness of peace. 
And Jesus can offer that to us as God. Jesus can bring us salvation. He can call us into the kingdom. He can deliver commands that we should live by for our joy and intimacy with him. And as God, he can cleanse us and make us pure. And so it's important to know that Jesus is God because he's where we find cleansing, purification, really salvation from. At the same time, though, Jesus had to be man to pay for our sins, A man committed sins, therefore man has to pay for the sins that were committed. You and I are men, men and women, and we have committed sins, therefore a man needs to pay for that. And so Jesus, being 100% man, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death that we should have died, and therefore makes salvation possible. And so as a man, he makes salvation possible, and as God, he offers us salvation that we may be saved. And so it's important that we have both of those going on at the exact same time. Jesus was punished like a man, suffered and died like a man, yet he resurrected and reigns like a God because he is God. And so it's important that we have both of those, that Jesus could be the sacrificial lamb and the lion of Judah, that Jesus actually is 100% man, 100% God, and through that, we can have a relationship with him. This truth is important because with no man, there's no payment for sin. And with no God, there's no ability for us to actually have salvation because Jesus was just a good dude but he wasn't God, and only God can bring us into the presence of God, but as both, we can actually enter into a relationship with the eternal God of the universe who has created all of the heavens and all of the universe and have intimacy with him. This should make your soul rejoice. This should should make you a, a little bit excited about that, right? Do you see why Jesus deserves our praises, actually? Why we sing out to him, why we focus our whole uh, uh, service around Christ is because he deserves all of our praises. This is why we sing to him. This is why we offer to him. This is why we do different things because he has offered us a relationship with the God of the universe, his Father, himself, and the Holy Spirit. In intimacy, we can have that truth forever, verse 2 says. We can live with him forever if we believe everything that was wrong in this world is made right in Christ. And I want to keep emphasizing this because this is the gospel, the the most important thing, right? The, The thing that we need to hold dear from that we should never graduate from. We should always be learning more and more about the gospel because it's the gospel that frees us to have a relationship with the Lord, to let us enter into that beauty with him. And this is actually what separates Christianity, in all honesty, from all the other religions in the world. Because every other religion in the world, you have to work your way up to God. You have to work and do enough and do enough. But Christianity says you can't be good enough. And so therefore, God came down for you and lived a perfect life and extended grace to you that you may be saved. Every other major religion in the world, even atheism, says you have to be good enough, right? The, the atheist is trying to prove himself to, to himself a lot of times. He has to prove that he's valuable. And so he works and works and works and tries to prove his value through his work or, or prove to his dad who never gave him affection or prove to his boss so that he could step up or whatever it may be. There's all this proving that's trying to go on. And Jesus came because we could not do it ourselves and live the life for us that by faith in him, we may have all of his perfection. We can't be good enough, yet Christ was, and through him, we can have life in him. And so we can stop slaving away and find rest for our souls in Christ Jesus. Amen? He can be our perfection that we need. I put a link to the humanity and the divinity of Jesus in the YouVersion app. And so if you have that app and you want to read more about why these two things are important, feel free to you know, bookmark that and read those later. Don't read them right now, okay? 
<laughs> but uh, I think this is important for us to understand the humanity and the divinity of Christ. And I think this is what John is trying to say. He's trying to counteract the lies that people were bringing in verse 7 and verse 8 and trying to show, no, Jesus is actually God in the flesh. He's the God-man. And through him, we can have a relationship with God. Verse three though, okay, so keep moving. Verse three goes even further than that. So with this truth in mind that Jesus is God and man, that through Jesus we can have relationship with him, that through Jesus we can be perfected, he continues on with this truth in mind that if we live in truth, then we as Christians may also have grace, mercy, and peace, it says. You see that in verse three there? We should have grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, okay, Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Does that make sense? And so we don't deserve the Holy Spirit, but God has given us grace that we may receive that gift. We, we don't deserve that. Now, what we do deserve is punishment and damnation, but through God's mercy, we don't get that either. And so grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And peace we receive because of these two. So we don't have to live in fear because we can have reconciliation and relationship with God. We cannot live in harmony with the God of the universe, not having to live in dread or fear because of the grace and mercy that's been extended to us through Christ Jesus. Amen? Like, come on, right? This is a good thing, right? Like, we should desire this so deeply for our lives. Like, who in here does not want more grace, mercy, and peace? Like, you just want to live in, in misery, Right? Like, nobody wants that, okay? We all want it. And this is saying, hey, look, it's offered to you to its perfection in Christ Jesus. You can have full, complete mercy and grace and peace forever. These are all ours if we believe in Christ. And I love that John ends verse 3 with uh, truth and love again. It says, in truth and love. And so thinking about, remember, this is a letter to a church. And I think that this is a, actually a great statement of how he ended this, in truth and love, Okay. Where truth dwells and where mercy and grace and peace are experienced, there is truth with no compromise and love that knows no boundaries. I was reading that in the commentary. I thought that was so good. Where truth dwells and where mercy, grace, and peace are experienced, there is truth with no compromise and love that knows no boundaries. And so we can speak the truth to one another and listen, honestly, be narrow in our way of thinking. We just read John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so we can say, you need Jesus. Like we need Jesus. As Christians, we need more and more and more of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus is the way you have relationship with God. Like Jesus is a very narrow, singular way about which we can come to truth. However, we can have love that is so showered out on every single human being on this earth. As we try to extend God's mercy and grace and peace to all, we can love recklessly, right? So we can have truth and be captivated by the truth, but yet love and pour ourselves out in a reckless manner that everybody may know this truth. And so these two really aren't at odds with one another, though they often seem to be pitted like that in our culture. But in reality, we can hold fast to the truth. And yet, because of this very truth that we hold fast to, love more than anybody could ever dream to love. We can love so fully in Christ. And so Christian communities are branded with truth, but they are marked by their love. Do you hear me? Christian communities are branded with truth, but they are marked by their love. We need to be known by our love. 
Okay, and both of these two go hand in hand, I think. Now, we sort of already covered what they were believing or what the lies that they were being tempted to believe were. And so I want to read the rest of this letter now. We're going to actually go through the rest of it uh, in one read here and then highlight the next two sections. So believing in the truth, we just talked about it's important that we believe in the truth. Now, how do we walk out this truth and live in light of that truth with others? Okay, so pick it up there in verse four. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or even give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now, verse 6 there, okay, is kind of the linchpin verse, and it's a commentary on verse 5. In verse 5, he says that we should love one another. Now, how, you should ask how. We should love one another. Well, well, how? What does that look like? Verse 6 says, by keeping his commands. So we should keep the commandments of Christ. And then he says that this is the commandment that we have heard from the beginning. Well, what is the commandment that we've heard from the beginning? To love others, which stems from our love from Christ. And so we actually have a very purposeful, cyclical process that John is going through here. As we grow in our love for Christ, okay, we actually keep his commandments. And because we love him and we want to please him, we want to know him, we want to be like him, we want to follow him. And so therefore we keep the commandments of Christ. As we keep the commandments of Christ though, the main commandment is loving others. We love God, which stems from that, and then we love others or love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus actually fulfills all the law and the prophets. And so as you love Christ, you will want to keep his commandments. As you keep his commandments, you'll want to love others. As you'll love others, you'll actually be professing and showing your love for Christ therefore growing more and more intimate with him because you are being like him. All that to say, the Christian life is so rigged in your favor. The Christian life is so rigged in our favor for us to know God and to be like him. Because look it, you can enter into this circle kind of anywhere, right? Like as you love Christ, as you grow more and more in your love for Christ, you'll keep his commands and then you'll love others. Or maybe you're really struggling in your vertical relationship with God right now. You are a Christian, you believe in the truth, but man, it's really hard to keep his commandments. But as you start loving others more, so naturally you'll love God more and more too. As you love God more and more, you'll naturally then begin to keep his commandments more. And it's this beautiful life that's rigged in your favor. God's for your joy, essentially is what that's saying, right? God God is for you. He he wants you to experience him, to, to know him, and then to live like Christ, to love others in that way. And so we can't just learn the truth with our minds, 
Okay, so that we can't just, just uh, intellectually assent to the truth and that's it. But we have to love the truth in our hearts and then live out the truth with our hands. Our head, heart, and hands all need to be submitted to the truth of Christ. The, the total person needs to be yielded. Not just know it, but to live it, right? Just like the church plants were there in verse 4. I love that. Verse 4, he says, some of, some of your children who I've met, right? Which of this is talking about a church holistically and saying, hey, some of, your, some of the kids you planted, some of the churches, like they're living the same thing. Oh, man, that's awesome. I love seeing that. All of ourselves had to be yielded to this, to be known by truth, but compelled by love to recklessly love others. Which, by the way, in verses four through six, the word commandment or command is used four times. So the same way that truth is used four times in those three verses above, now command is used four times in these three verses, which is how we know we got to believe in the truth, but then actually walk that truth out too. Okay, and by following these commands, ultimately we know that means loving one another with truth and love. And so as I was thinking about this letter, as I was thinking about uh, where we are as a church, I feel like those two things kind of collide perfectly with where we are right now as a church. It's always encouraging to see something in scripture that you're doing as a church. So you know you're being like a biblical church. Hopefully that's everything, <laughs> all right? But as we like look at individual things, it's always really, really encouraging, okay? So at the well, we said we want to exalt disciples sinned. That's how we want to live our lives, right? And so what does John actually command this church to do? He says, you need to believe and know in the truth or exalt, think the right things about Jesus, exalt him in your minds and your hearts, know him intimately, dwell with him, live with him, be in the truth, immersed in the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So exalt, then walk in the commands, which is what a disciple does. A disciple follows the commands of Jesus. He lives like Jesus lives and love others, John says, or send. We want to be missionaries that go out into the world and make sure this gospel is known and we give our lives to people exalt disciples sin. And so the same thing that John is commanding this church to be and do, so I think is true for us. That's what we want to be and do as a church, because this is what we see from scripture. We want to exalt disciple and sin. And so what does this look like as a church holistically? Okay, as we, as we think about the big picture of the church, what does it look like? I actually want to narrow it down and think about two very specific things that were even just talked about in the announcements that we're doing today. Okay, one of them is giving back to Campbell Elementary, which I'll explain in full detail here in a second. But do you know why we give money at all to a church? Like, like, why, like sometimes I think we kind of do things and we don't think about the meaning behind it, okay? We are compelled by truth, the truth of the gospel, to follow the commands of Christ and the apostles and to make sure that this gets carried out missionally through the world around us or to love others, exalt disciples' sin. Think the truth, live in the truth, and then uh, love out the truth with others, right? And so the truth is that the God of the universe had all of the riches in the world at his dispense. He had all the riches, right? All the, we see in Revelation, like the streets are paved with gold and there's rainbows surrounding the throne and, and Christ has all glory, all wisdom, all honor. He has all riches at his disposal. Yet he gave them all up that he may become poor so that you and I who were poor in the spirit could be rich in him. This is the truth of the gospel. Jesus was rich yet became poor that you and I who are poor may become rich in him. Now, since we believe in that truth with our hearts, out of the belief of that, we actually want to live that out in the lives around us. And so we too, who may have some financial blessing or, or, or some provision that God has provided, who are rich to some extent, will actually give of ourselves a little bit to become a little bit more poor 
so that those who are poor may actually be rich in Christ. We emulate Christ. We do the exact same thing that Christ has done. We model him. And so this is actually why we give, because it's part of the way that we look like or we reflect Christ in the world around us. We become a little poorer out of our money, so people who are spiritually poor may be rich in Christ. And so as we know this truth and it impacts our hearts, we actually want to live our lives now differently as a result of that. We realize we get to represent Christ to some extent. We get to be like little Christ in the world or Christians, right, and live that out around us, hoping that other people receive the same love that we've received from God. We don't, aren't selfish with this love, but we want to give out this love to other people. Are y'all tracking with that? Okay, yeah? Okay, we're good. Um, and so giving to Campbell or to the church or to missionaries or, or whatever it may be is actually a great expression of this gospel truth. And that's just one truth of the gospel. The gospel is flooded with all types of truth. It's why we serve. It's why we are, are, are monogamous in our marriage. It's why we uh, love others, why we share the gospel. All these things come from an understanding of who God is. And as we understand that more and more, we want to live that truth out more and more. Okay, which by the way, if, if you're a guest today, Okay, I just want to say this, uh, and you think that we are uh, after money or something. I just want to tell you that could be further from the truth. In fact, this is probably the first time I've talked about money from the stage in about a year, which that's not good on my part. And so for our church, I'm sorry for not compelling us to do this more because we need to be doing this more, okay? But I want to say we're not after your wallets. In fact, if you think we are, keep them in your pocket because that's not what it's about. Okay, what we want to do though is we want to live in a way that so reflects Christ that the whole world may know about the glory and the love of Jesus. And so as we give of ourselves to that, our times, our talents, and our treasures, our hope is that other people may come into contact with that truth, be transformed by that same truth, and have the grace, mercy, and peace that we so richly experience in Christ. And so Campbell is a great way to do that because the kids are literally poor. And so we can actually give, be a representation of Christ. As I say, look at what the church has done, that they may hopefully see Christ, believe this truth more, be compelled in that, and that they too may become rich in Christ. Though maybe even staying poor in the physical world, they can have the mercy and grace and peace that all of us chase after. And so this is an expression of us knowing that. Or the other thing we thought about was the how to be discipled class. Right, so we're having a class, how to be discipled, how, or I'm sorry, how to disciple others. How is it that you disciple others? So we wanna learn, we wanna grow in the knowledge of discipleship or exalt Christ in the way that we do that. And then we wanna live that truth out by pouring into others in hopes that they, who are, should be receiving our love, would do the same thing over and over again. You see, it's a cyclical process that we keep going over. And so really everything that we do as a church, we want to exalt, disciple, and send. That's what we want to be about. That's why Bob is in Brazil right now, because we hope that as Bob knows more and more about Christ, he lives that out, and then he goes in as a missionary, plants churches around the nations that may know him. That's why we want to send him as a church. That's why we're at the end of the year, likely, unless he does something silly between then, all right, we're going to give him a lot of money to go try to start this up, say, man, go bring the gospel there too, because we want to see Brazil know Jesus, and, and we want to see Austin too know Jesus, so we hope somebody else comes in and, and is able to bring the gospel to us, and over and over again, there's this process where we want to exalt and disciple and sin, that the world may know who Jesus is. This should be the thrust of every single thing that we do. Now, let me say this, okay, because in the last section, he talked about false teachers bringing the truth, right? So these false, or bringing truths, he said, these new truths, they're false teachers, they're not real truth, but they're, they're bringing it, okay? Here's what I know. Sometimes truth can seem so archaic in our culture. 
You know what I mean by that? Like truth can seem so, like you're believing in this? This was written 2,000 years ago by a bunch of men. Why, why are you graduate from this truth and get on to our level is really what they're saying, right? I grew up in the hood, and so there was a song called Get On Our Level, and that will not get out of my head. The five people who grew up there, too, you know what I mean, <laughs> right? But uh, in our culture, they are screaming at us to reject the biblical truth and to actually live in this new truth that they have. Because this new things have been revealing new stuff about ourselves. We should live in that. So why are you believing in this archaic text, okay? I have two things I want to say about that because I think that John is, is contending for truth here in this letter. I want to do that too. One, until you can disprove the Bible, I want you to be so dang confident that you are sitting on the word of God. Until the Bible can be disproven, I want you to be confident that these are the words of the God of the universe who wants to speak to you. Every single generation from John's generation, like we just read, to our generation today, has tried to disprove the Bible. And every single generation has failed at it. Do you know why? Because this is the word of God. This is not just the words of man. This is not just a good way to live our lives. This isn't just good morals so that we can have a better or more happy life. These are the words of God trying to communicate with us about how we can have a relationship with him and live in the joy that he has set before us. These are the words of God. And so every generation will come and they'll try to disprove it. So they'll try to disprove it scientifically. But then as we go on, we realize that, man, they were actually kind of wrong. Or they'll try to disprove it morally. And then as we go on, we look back, we're like, man, that was a jacked up generation. Right? And so we keep looking back and going, man, man, nobody's been able to disprove it yet. And so why does this culture become the different culture? Like why all of a sudden have we now finally found the true truth? If the past, you know, 2,000 years have failed, what makes us think that we're succeeding in it today? I don't think they are. I think that we should still stand on the word of God and contend for it and to plant our feet deeply in it, realizing that God is for your joy and that in this book is the key to life, life eternal and life even right now, that our marriages will be better, that our jobs will be beautiful, that we can create beautiful things or, or live in, in profound ways, serving others, giving of ourselves. I think that in this text is the word of truth. And so until something else can debunk it and we can actually say, oh, actually, yeah, they have debunked it, then know that you're sitting on the word of God. And I can say it very confidently, I mean, search, search, try to, try to debunk it. You can't, it hasn't been yet. There have been many, many smart men who have tried to do that and they've all failed. And as we look back, we realize these words still stand strong even today, even 2,000 years after they were penned. This is exactly what Satan did to Eve, by the way. He said, look, there's a new truth. Believe this, God's holding out, you're, you're missing something. There, there's actually more. You should step away from God's plan and, and follow this plan. And that led to her misery, not realizing that underneath the commandments of God is true beauty, is true rest, is true joy. So until the Bible is debunked, friends, you need to stand firm on it, okay? Um, the second thing that I think is very interesting is that uh, the, the church often gets attacked too. And so the church that stands firm on the truth is often seen kind of as an archaic church, 
right? And so you get made fun of for believing certain moral things, right? Like we say, no, no, we believe in the biblical view of marriage, or no, no, we believe in uh, that, that we should really love on the people who are hurting, or we believe that, that racial reconciliation is huge, or whatever it may be, and we actually uh, uh, undermine it underneath the truth of God, right? We believe that babies are, should not be aborted in the womb, that they should be stayed alive, and we say these things, and then it seems so archaic, and the church gets kind of blasted, for believing in that, okay? I wanna show you two different charts. Um, this chart, okay, is actually a, a, a list that was taken, and the left-hand column is the church attendance population for these denominations in the 1960s. So at some point in the 1960s, this is what the population was. On the right-hand side is the population of those churches today. And as you see, all of the churches have gone in a decline now, what these churches are, are actually churches that are pretty liberal in their theology. And so in the 1960s, if you remember, there were a lot of things going on in America. There was a big peace movement. There was uh, all this, you know, uh, you know, let's just go live licentiously. Let's just kind of, let's experiment. We need to experiment with one another. Like skip this, you know, marriage covenant. We need to go do what we want to do. Be free, love. And some of these churches actually began to say yes to some of those things you know what? Yeah, that's true. Maybe scripture is a little bit archaic. Maybe we do need to contextualize more so or compromise more so to our culture. And every single church on that side, you see, today has actually lost a lot. Now, why did it lose? Because our culture is so shifty, right? What was true in 1960 is no longer true today. Matter of fact, even the people who weren't following Christ 1960 kind of seem a little bit like conservative or, or lame even in today's culture. And so uh, the culture's definition of truth keeps shifting. And so the churches that tried to shift with the cultural definition of truth ended up losing people because as the culture then reshifted again, now they were left in the dust a little bit. Go to the next slide. These are churches that are all, historically speaking, very, very conservative churches. They believe in the word of God. They submit to the word of God only. They say, no, this is the way to live. And by the way, I didn't put non-denominational up there because there are some non-denominational churches that are a little bit liberal. But most of them that we know, I would say probably 90% of non-denominational churches okay, actually really are rooted in scripture. They try to be conservative in their theology. They stand firm. In 1962, there were 78,000 non-denominational Christians. Today, there are 12.2 million. So that may actually may be the biggest growth even. But I wanted to stick with just the ones that are very, very, very conservative. And as you see, the population actually is exploding in those churches. Now, the ironic thing, the reason I put that is because in our culture, they keep saying the church is dying. The church is dying. Christians are going away. The church is fading. There's this new truth and there's these lies. But as you see... That's actually not true. Now, the reason the church is dying, it looks like, is because people are falling away from the liberal denominations. But those who actually stood firm on the word of God, we actually see a great increase, okay? Now, why do I put those slides up? Because I want to, once again, tell us, not just as individuals to believe the church, or to believe the truth, but as a church, to stand rooted in the word of God. That those people who actually stand in the word of God, even through the persecution of their culture, even when their culture says, this is stupid. Why would you believe this? Why would you do this? Don't you see these truths? At the end of the day, the word of God does not fail. And Christ made it really, really clear the gates of hell cannot overcome the church. 
And so this is why, as a church, it's important for us to believe in the truth and to contend for the truth, to fight for the truth, to not accept false lies that come into our lives, that we may be men and women that are standing on the word of God because we believe the word of God has the keys to life while everybody else is searching and searching and searching for the answer and it shifts and it shifts and it shifts, we already have grasped it because the answer is Jesus and the words of Jesus are found right here in this text that speak into our hearts that actually impact the way we live out in our lives, okay? The truth doesn't fade, the truth doesn't fail and so it's important for us to be rooted in that. So stand firm in the Bible is my application for today. Stand firm in the word of God, okay? Don't just hear it on Sunday, but like read it. And don't just read it, eat it and sleep it and breathe it and let it be so entrenched into your soul that it's what pours out of you. Because in this is joy. And in this you can actually dwell with or live with or abide with truth. You can have truth living inside of you more and more and more. You may know Christ more and more and more and believe the gospel and have freedom that he gives. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I know that today was heavier. So we sort of attack lie and try to contend for truth. God, I pray we would fight for truth. God, I actually pray that for those of us who may not really know if we're a Christian or not, we, we don't really know you fully, Jesus. We're still wrestling with who you are as God. I pray that you would reveal truth, that you would reveal yourself, that we would submit to truth, that we would see you are God and man, Jesus, that you lived the life that, that we couldn't live. You, you died the death that we should have died, that we can have relationship with you. And God, I pray that even today, there would be people in this room who submit to that truth. Even through a hard text like 2 John, I pray that they would see the beauty and the promises of scripture and stand under it, God that your name would be honored. And God, if we, if we do know you, I pray that we would contend for the truth, that we wouldn't be content just kind of living out the Christian life, but that we would want truth to be in us more and more and more. And so as we live it out with others and love others, as we walk in your commands, as we love you, Jesus, that we would just grow more and more and more in that process. God, help us to love you. We need you, Jesus. Thank you for being true. Thank you for overcoming my lies, even this week. As I believe things that plague my soul, you reminded me of truth. God, let that be our testimony over and over again. Thank you for being truth. We love you, Jesus. Praise things in your precious name. Amen. Before the ushers come forward, um, I want to explain a couple things that we're doing today. So one, every week we do this, we have communion um, at various places in the room, on the sides and on the back. And what communion is, is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the truth of the gospel, that Jesus loved us so much that he went and died for us. And so that's what the bread represents, is Jesus's body. And during the next three songs, when you feel led to take communion, if you're a Christian, after you have reconciled with God, thought about God, prayed to God, after you start singing his praises, I would encourage you to go over and, and rip off a piece of that bread and be reminded of the sacrifice of his body for you. 
and then we dip it in the cup, which is uh, the new covenant, it says, in his blood. The cup reminds us of the blood of Jesus that was poured out, that in him we can have cleansing and the forgiveness of our sins. And so during the next few songs, I would encourage you, maybe even as a family or as a group of friends to go take communion and pray and remember that the truth of Christ was revealed to us, that we no longer have to be enslaved to lies. We can believe the truth. The other thing that we're going to do is we're going to take up offering. And we do this every week, but this week we're going to do it a little bit differently. On your chairs, on every chair that came in, there should have been a little envelope. Okay, and on that envelope, if you want to give to Campbell Elementary, then that's the way that you do that, is slide it in that envelope, okay? Um, what's going to happen is, is the, the school is transferring from regular clothes to uniforms, and because of that, they're afraid that a lot of the families won't actually have the funds needed to switch over and make that switch. And so we said as a church, we want to just bless them, and we want to give them kind of a thanksgiving back. As we go into the Thanksgiving holiday and we think about all the things that we're thankful for, a lot of us have clothes. A lot of us have the money to afford that and these kids don't. So you know, we wanna do a Thanksgiving back to you, okay? And so if you wanna to give to that, we've talked about it the last few weeks and I would encourage you to do that, okay? You don't have to write anything on the envelope. If it's in the envelope, we'll know that it's in there. And here's what the well as a church is going to do, okay? The well is going to match everything that you guys give. And so if we end up giving them $3,000, then the well will match it with $3,000 or whatever it may be, that we can just bless the school, okay? And so you can give regularly into uh, the well if you want just by dropping it in the offering as a normal uh, drop. Or if you want to give to Campbell, you can do that. And so I'm going to ask the ushers to actually stay back there for a minute and um, give you a little bit of time if you desire to put it in. And then I'll call them forward and we'll pray and prepare our hearts for worship.